0: I truly believe that um, it's in in events like these ones that um, the Lord uh, visits his people. Um, I remember attending um, a seminar like this one in Quebec, uh, Jaffa, in 2010, and uh, I was already a Seventh-day Adventist for the past three years uh, in my life, but, but... the Lord revived me again at that conference. So I truly believe, uh, even though we're in the church for the longest time, the Lord can do a special work through these events. Uh, and this is my prayer this morning, that, um, that somebody will be touched by the love of Christ. Uh, that's my prayer today. So let us bow our heads uh, and pray. Father in heaven, we are so uh, thankful that's how we are here in these holy hours of the Sabbath, oh God. Father, we hope in your word. We hope in your love. And Father, we want to rest assured that you will visit us today. Father, do a work that is impossible for us to do for ourselves. Touch our hearts, transform our minds. Revive us, so God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So the topic today uh, is, um, I've chosen this, this title for the sermon, Revival and the Heart of God. Revival and uh, the Heart of God. So let's begin our study today uh, in the book of John. In the book of John, uh, we're going to go to a familiar story in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. You guys all know this uh, very well story. It's the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And uh, I find this story very interesting. Um, we know the context. It was uh, in the middle of the day, and uh, Jesus was there at the well, and uh, his disciples had gone to get food and, and, uh, and water. So Jesus was thirsty and hungry. And when he met the Samaritan woman, he asked a simple question in verse 7. She said, woman, give me a drink. Very simple question. So Jesus was thirsty and he was hungry. But the the conversation continued and this conversation led to the Samaritan woman to accept the living water that Jesus had brought this conversation led to her in accepting Jesus as her savior. And it's interesting when the disciples come back in verse 31, they ask Jesus, they press on him and they say, his disciple urgent, saying, Rabbi, eat. But what happened to Jesus' thirst and, and, uh, and hunger? What happened to his thirst? Was he still thirsty? He was, he was satisfied. Jesus' thirst and hunger was satisfied. So we read, when he replied to, the, to, to, um, to his disciple, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If this encounter with the woman at the well did not happen, Will Jesus still be thirsty? Will he still be hungry? What do you guys think? He probably will still felt hungry and thirsty. But because of this encounter with the woman at the well, Jesus wasn't thirsty and hungry anymore. There is something in the heart of God that only you and me can bring to Jesus to satisfy his thirst. There's something above physical food that can really quench the thirst of Jesus. Jesus is hungry. There's something on his heart, and only you and me can feel this desire. There's a very special quote in Desire of Ages, page 191. It says, our Redeemer thirsts for recognition. He hungers for the sympathy of the lo- and love of those whom he has purchased with his own blood. Could it be that Jesus is hungry? He's thirsty. And only our love, our love, our sympathy, Our affection towards him can satisfy him. Could it be that sometimes when we come to Jesus, we're thinking about satisfying our own thirst and our own hunger. But it is so. It should be so. Because this woman came to the well and she was satisfied. She came thirsty and she left satisfied. But who else was satisfied. Jesus Jesus Christ was satisfied. So there's something in the heart of God that only you and me can satisfy his heart. It is our love. Jesus is hungry. Jesus is looking to be loved. How many people it takes in a relationship? It takes two people in a relationship. So today, I want us to consider the hunger. What's on Jesus' heart? What can truly satisfy Jesus' heart in these last days? Could it be that revival is satisfying the heartfelt need of Jesus? Today, I want to take our eyes off of our thirst. But let's look into Jesus' heart and found that what can satisfy his heart? And I believe the answer is found in the 17th chapter of John. In the 17th chapter of John, we are told by inspiration. Before I did this, uh, this study, I found some books in Spirit of Prophet I've never heard about. Somebody has ever heard of Spalding and Megan collection? But look at what the prophet says. Praise God for, for internet, for LNG White app. Praise God. <laughs> look at what the pure prophet said. He says, God's family on the earth have many lessons to learn in order to answer the prayer of Christ. His last prayer with his disciple before his humiliation, the 17th chapter which contains this prayer, comprehends more than any other chapter in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the 17th chapter of John comprehends more. It's so broad than any other chapter of the New Testament. And theologians said that the climax of this prayer is found in John chapter 17, verse 24. John chapter 17, verse 24. Pardon me. We read, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. What is in the heart of Jesus Christ? This is the climax of this prayer in John 17. He says, "Father, I desire. that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am." Could it be that deep in the heart of Christ, the only thing he wants is for you and me to be with him? That that is the ultimate that can satisfy the heart of Jesus Christ. Think about this. The king of the universe. He thirsts. He hungers for you and me to be with him. Me. Sinner me. You. That is the thirst of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that this is a prevailing theme in the spirit of prophecy. But isn't that what love does? Love wants to be with the person they love. Have you ever been in love? Have you you ever been separated from the one you love? What does love seek? Love just wants to be in the company of the one you love. You see, we were made for this purpose. We were created for fellowship with God. That was the original plan of God, just to be with him in the garden. He will come, visit Adam and Eve, and just talk to them, just be with them. I can imagine Adam picking something he has discovered, say, look, God, and God just, he's happy about that. Could it be that that's what God wants? He just wants to be with us. He wants to be loved by us. He wants our fellowship. He wants our affection. And that is the ultimate desire of of, of Christ. He wants to be with us. And he prayed that prayer before going to Gethsemane. Maybe that was his motivation when he went there in Gethsemane and agonized. And he went to the cross afterwards. And there on the cross, he taught about you, he taught about me. That if, only, if, if I die for these people, I'm going to give them a chance to, for them to be with me. And you know what? On that resurrection morning, on that Sunday morning when Jesus resurrected, he had an interesting encounter. With Mary. Let's go to John 20. John 20. We're looking to seek to find out what's on Jesus' heart. What's on Jesus' heart? On that resurrection morning, John 20, verse 17, after the resurrection, Jesus said, John 20, 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. That morning, Jesus said he was going to heaven that morning. That Sunday morning. What for? For what purpose Jesus was going to heaven? He had something on his heart. And the of prophecy tells us what happened on that Sunday morning when he went to heaven. We read, Jesus, when he entered heaven, he refused to receive the homage of his people until he knew that his sacrifice has been accepted by the Father and until he had received the assurance from God himself that his atonement for sin of his people had been fully and ample and ample, that through his blood they might gain eternal life. Jesus immediately ascended to heaven that morning and presented himself before the throne showing the marks and shame and cruelty upon his brow, his hands and feet. But he refused to receive the coronet of glory and the royal robe. And he also refused the adoration of angel as he has refused the homage of Mary. He refused all these homages until the Father signified that his offering was accepted. Jesus had something on his heart that that Sunday morning. He says he also had a request to prefer concerning his chosen ones on earth. He had a request. And look at his request. He declared it to be his will that where he was, there his church should be. If he was to have glory... His people must share with him. Jesus went to heaven and he refused all the adoration of angels for one reason. He had a request to make to his father that you and me, that our place with him is assured, is guaranteed. Friends, we will be there. We will be there. And the the longing of Jesus is simply to be with us. That's that's the only thing he wants. I desire. He desires to be with us. That is his ultimate desire. Think about it, friends. Me and you were created for this purpose. Jesus wants to fellowship with us. That's all he wants from us. Then he came back on earth, spent 40 days teaching his disciples. And then after the 40 days, we know the story, he ascended back again to heaven. And this time, something special again happened in heaven. After those 40 days, he went back again, but this time, notice, I'm going to skip this, as he drew near to the city of God, the challenge is given by the escorts of angels. In Psalm 24, it says, the, the angels were shouting, lift up your heads, all ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the, clean, the king of glory shall come in. Joyful, the awaiting sentinel respond, who is this king of glory? Jesus, all the angels, praising him, adoring him, and not only the angels. Then the portal of the city of God was are wide open and the angelic throne swept through the gates amid the burst of rapture of music. There is the throne, and around its rainbow of promise. Sorry. Sorry about that. And around the rainbow of promise, there are cherubims and seraphim, the commander of angels' hosts, the songs, the sons of God, the representative of the unfallen word are assembled. All are there to welcome the Redeemer. They are eager to celebrate His triumph and to glorify their King. The entire universe is represented the second time when Jesus goes back to heaven. Everybody is there. They're shouting. They're anxious to adore Jesus. But what does Jesus do? But He waves them back. He says, not yet. Not yet. I have something on my heart. I have a request to be made. He says, He cannot receive the coronet of glory and the royal robe. He enters into the presence of his father. He points to his wounded hands, the pierced sides and marred feet. He lifts his hands, bearing the prints of nails. He points to the tokens of his triumph. He addressed the father. Now he declares, Father, it is finished. I have done thy will, O my God. I have completed the work of redemption. If that justice is satisfied, I will. That they also, whom thou have given me, be with me where I am. He refused the adoration of all the angels, all the unfallen word, because he had one thing on his heart. He wants you and me to be with him. You see, all the worship of the universe is not worth it for Jesus. If you're not there, if I'm not there, Amen. brothers and sisters, if this is so, if this is true, nothing else matters. If the God of heaven, if Jesus, this is this is this is the cross. If God was willing, Jesus Christ, Ellen White says that he didn't see through the portals of the tomb. If Jesus was willing to be eternally separated, to take that plunge for you and me to have a chance to be with him, if this is so, nothing else matters. There's nothing else. There's nothing else that matters. Jesus' longing is for you and for me to be with him. You see, we we're told in Steps to Christ, page 100, that the relationship between the relationship between God and each soul are so distinct and full as though there were not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care. Not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. Not another soul. You see, there is a way. Every individual is so different. And there's a way Omar talks to God, prays to God, that it's only Omar. There is a place in the heart of God that only Omar can fill. Only Omar. Omar. There's a place where only me can feel, and God can pour out all His love into one person, and still have enough love to give to everybody. Amen. This is the desire of God, that where He is, there we must we must be, also. And you know what's interesting? We're approaching. We're approaching the end of Earth's history. Jesus is about to come soon, very soon. We know that the Sunday law, we had a seminar on that, is going to come. We know that it's going to be a time of trouble, a little time of trouble. We know there's going to be a great time of trouble. We know that we're going to be persecuted. And amidst all this persecution, when everything when the death decree is passed and everything is, seems to fall, this is where we're going to see our Savior. And you know why he's, coming, why he's coming from? It's because he still has the same burden. When everything seems dark, during that time of trouble, this is when we're <coughs> going to see Jesus Christ coming back. We read, by the, peop- by the people of God, a voice clear and melodious is heard, saying, Look up and lifting the eyes to the heaven. It's the second coming of Christ. They behold the bow of promise. The black angry clouds that cover the firmament are, are parted. And like Stephen, they look up steadfast into heaven and see the glory of God and the Son of Man seated upon his throne. His divine form they discern, the marks of his humiliation. And from his lips they hear the request presented before his father and the holy angel. I will... That they also, whom they have given me, be with me where I am. So he prayed for us in Gethsemane, that he wants to be with us. On Ascension Day, he made that request to the Father. When he's going to come back, he's going to say those same words I will, that where you are, I might be also. If this is so, brothers and sisters, really, there's nothing else that matters. Nothing else that matters. And do you know where Jesus is right now? Only 7,000 people know where he is right now. Where is Jesus right now? He's in the most holy place of the sanctuary. Do you think his, his burden has changed? Do you think he has the same burden? What is Jesus doing in the most holy place of the sanctuary? He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. When you have a burden on your heart, what do you do? You pray. You pray about that burden. You pray about those, that, that desire that you have. So Jesus is praying in the most holy place. Have you ever wondered, what is, what is Jesus praying for? Have you ever asked yourself this question? I've asked myself this: What is Jesus praying in that most holy place of the sanctuary? Praise God for the spirit of prophecy. The prophet says, "This is in um, this is in." Uh, let me just find you the quote because this this one is very, the fifth Bible commentary, page eleven forty five. He says this chapter contained the answer talking about the chapter of John. 17. It says, This chapter contains the intercessory prayer offered by Christ to his Father just before his trial and crucifixion. This prayer is a lesson regarding the intercession that the Savior will carry out within the veil. Our mediator gave his disciple this illustration of his ministration in the heavenly sanctuary in behalf of all who will come to him. So, what is Jesus praying? He's praying a type of prayer like in John 17. And we saw that the climax of John 17 is verse 24 when Jesus says, I will that them that you have given me be with me where I am. So Jesus is praying for you and for me to be with him. That's his burden. That is his burden. But I must tell you, brothers and sisters, that before the reunion, there must be a separation. Before the reunion, before this prayer of Christ to be fulfilled, there must be a separation. If John 17 is what Jesus is praying, there must be something about revival and reformation in this chapter. And I must tell you that one of the things that Jesus is praying for, Jesus is praying for separation. Let's read John 17, verse 14 and 16. John 17, verse 14 and 16. It's, I read, I have given them your word, and the word has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from from the evil. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Before the reunion, I said, there must be a separation. A separation from what? There must be a separation from the world. There must be a separation from the world. Jesus is praying for separation. And how are we to be separated? How are we to be separated? Verse 16 says, They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. The way Christ was separated from the world, this is the way we should be separated from the world. From the world. So can you say in your heart and soul, can you say, like Jesus in John 14, 30, that for the prince of this world cometh and has nothing in me. Can you say that the world has nothing in you, in the mentality of the world, in the ambitions of the world? We have to understand that Jesus wants to be loved, with every aspect of our lives. This is his craving. Jesus wants to be loved with every single aspect of our life. And can you say that there's nothing of the world in your life? And when I talk about separation, this text gives us the nature of the separation. Verse 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, from sin, from worldliness. There is a cloud of worldliness over our churches, brothers and sisters. But Jesus prayed. I can assure you that because Jesus prayed, the church will not be overcome by worldliness because Jesus prayed. But can you say in your life, like Jesus, this world has nothing against me. The devil has nothing against me. In your way you think, in the way you eat, in the way you dress, can you say that this world has nothing in me? (coughs) Ladies, Jesus wants to be loved with your dress. There's a story that is told of a woman. She was married to a beautiful, a wonderful, handsome man. And every morning, they had breakfast together. Every morning. Just a lovely couple, in love. Every morning, they had breakfast together. But when the husband left for work, Before, because he left for work before the wife, her wife will get up and dress thinking about another man. Every morning she will dress. Sometimes she will dress thinking about other men's, thinking about the world. Ladies, Have you forgotten your first love? For the Bible says, Thy maker is thy husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Have you been cheating on Jesus? There is worldliness in the way we spend our time, in the amusements that we partake. But Jesus wants to be loved with every aspect of our lives. And do you know why Jesus wants us to be separated? Let's go to Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20, verse 36. Leviticus 20, verse 36. Leviticus 20, verse 36. For the same reason God separated the Israelites is the same reason... Why he wants us to be separated. Leviticus 20? 26, 26, sorry. It says, And you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, sorry, and you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you shall be, this is the reason why God wants us to be separated. That we should be wholly his. That is the reason. There's no other purpose. He wants to be with us. Jesus wants to be se- separate us from the mentality of this word. So we shall be his completely. Jesus is not into sharing. He's a jealous God. That's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. There's no competition for Jesus. And you must be wondering, all these areas of my life, is Jesus really interested in all the areas of my life? Well, let me tell you, by virtue of him being omniscient, by virtue of him being omnipotent, just by the fact that God knows everything, he sees everything. He reads the intent of the heart. By default, he becomes interested. In every aspect of our lives. By default. Just from who he is, he becomes interested. So there's worldliness in the way we spend our time. You know, there's a quote by John Piper. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful quote. I'm going to read it to you. He says, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not the poison, but the apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that does our appetites for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. Let me read that for you again. It is not the banquet of the wicked that does our appetites For heaven, but endless nibbling, just picking a little bit, just a little bit, endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the x rated videos, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen. And a wife. That's Luke 14, verse 18 to 20. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemy, but his gift. Could it be that we got so caught up in this world that there's a cloud of worldliness that the blessings of God can actually become a curse? Could it be that just those simple things of the world that we don't want to separate from the world, those are the things that separate us from God? He concludes, he says, And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace, An appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Those things of the world. Pray that God will just open our eyes to our true condition. Because we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that we do not have a mission to the world unless we are separated from the world. There's no mission to the world unless you are separated from the world. Our church has been called called to call people out. To call people out, you cannot be in. Before a reunion with God, there must be a separation with God, with the world, sorry. There's no mission. There's no mission unless we are separated from the world. And some of us think that by lowering lowering the standard, this is how we're going to reach the church. Do you know that God wants to elevate us to the point where we can be translated? But we lower the standard. God wants to elevate us, and we lower the standard. There is no mission to the world unless we are separated from the world. It's impossible. It's just impossible. Oh, praise God. Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying for separation. In the most holy place of the sanctuary, he's praying. He's praying for us. Praise God. What prayer of the Son that the Father will deny? Tell me. What prayer of the Son that the Father will deny? It's impossible. Jesus is praying for us in that most holy place. He's praying for separation. Total separation from the world so we can be consecrated to the work. Read it. Just after talking about separation, let's go back to John, to John 17. He says, They are not of the world just As I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me in the world, I also have sent them into the world. Did you get that? How are we to be sent in the world? As Jesus was sent in the world. How was Jesus sent? in the world the father sent him with a possibility of no return this is how jesus wants to send us in the world so the standard of your ministry is not another ministry the standard for your ministry is jesus christ this has major implication the standard for your commitment to the work of christ is Jesus Christ. The same way Jesus was committed to his work, this is how we ought to be committed to the work. As you have sent me, so I have sent them. So the standard of devotion to the work of Christ is Jesus Christ. Unless the Holy Spirit falls on us, brothers and sisters, this is impossible. Unless... There's power from above. This is impossible. Because the standard for ministry, for your ministry, for my campus ministry, for Mere Vive, for any of your implications, the standard is Jesus Christ. As you have sent me, so I send him. So Jesus is hungry, brothers and sisters. He hungers to be loved. All those millions of people, can you imagine the emptiness in the heart of of Christ? If he longs to be loved, how many people hate him? The deep emptiness in Jesus' heart. So, Jesus hungers in his heart, he wants us to be with you and with me. That is his desire. But we must be separated we must be separated and we must consecrate ourselves totally to his mission and you know what's the problem the problem is Laodicea let's go to Revelation chapter 3 Revelation chapter 3 Revelation 3 Revelation 3 3 verse 20 After Jesus has rebuked the last day church, our church, after he has rebuked you and me. Because sometimes we think we have it all. We really think that we have it all. Jesus, in Revelation 3, the message to Laodicea, he's saying, you don't have it. All of us here, we really think that we have it sometimes. Jesus says, you don't have it and then Jesus makes an appeal to Laodicea notice the appeal Revelation 3.20 he says behold I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me so Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking and what does he want to do? He wants to come in to do what? To sup with us. The problem with Laodicea is that Laodicea doesn't understand that Jesus is hungry, brothers and sisters. Jesus is hungry. He, He wants our affection, He wants our love. The only thing that can satisfy Him is. I will dine with him and he with me. He just wants to be with us. But we refuse to feed Jesus. Would you feed Jesus today? Would you feed him with your love? Would you feed Jesus? Because he's hungry. He's at the door knocking and he's hungry. He thirsts. I'm going to conclude with this, uh, this quote from the Pen of Inspiration. This is the last quote of Ellen J. White, the last quote that she wrote before dying. And I find this quote really powerful. Before she died, she wrote one last quote. You can find it, to Testimony to Ministers, that's 5, 518. This is, she was encouraging a minister. He, here's what he, she said. It will not satisfy the heart of the infinite one to give those who love his son a lesser blessing than he gave his son. Did you get that? In the heart of God, God will not be satisfied unless he bless us as he has blessed Jesus Christ. We're going to study things like that for eternity. Jesus, this is the last words of the prophet. Go read the whole chapter. It will not satisfy the heart of the infinite one to give those who he love, who love his son, a lesser blessing than he, gi- he gives his son. You see, when, when God gave Jesus Christ, That was a guarantee, brothers and sisters, that anything he will give us. We want the Holy Spirit. God is more than willing. His heart is not satisfied until his church. It's in Isaiah. I don't remember the quote. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not rest. God will not rest until he gives us a blessing, until he revives us for the sake of his kingdom, brothers and sisters. So the question is, the appeal is very simple today. The appeal is very simple. It's the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? Cause he's hungry. Do you truly love me? Are you willing to feed me? Do you really love me? With all the implication that comes with that, we talk today about ministry, about being separated from the world. Because this is what Jesus is praying for. Do you love me? Do you really love me? This is the appeal today. Do you love me enough to be separated from the world? Do you love me enough to consecrate yourself wholly, to sacrifice just as I have sacrificed for the sake of my kingdom? Do you love me like that? because he's hungry. Do you love me like that? And my prayer is that we will answer the same way that Peter answered. Lord, search my heart. Lord, you know. You, you know I love you. Do you love me like that? A lot of us have been um, nibbling at the table of the world and maybe this weekend God wants you to be separated from something very specific because you love him because you want to feed him if this is your desire you want to bring something very specific to the Lord that separates you from Christ. The Lord has spoken to you. I will invite you to come and kneel. We're going to pray. Is there something very specific that you say, Lord, I want to love you with this aspect of my life. I'll invite you to come forward and kneel. The second appeal, and you can, stay, you can stay where you are. Maybe the Lord has been impressing you to, um, I don't know, to leave your job. To be involved in full-time ministry. You want to consecrate yourself to full-time work for Jesus Christ. Because you know that that's the only thing that can satisfy his heart, I want you to pray that when, as God leads you, I want you to make the decision today that when the opportunity is going to present to you, to go. Whatsoever He goes, that you will say yes to this opportunity. This media was brought to you by Audioverse